So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the crowd's response is to him. And before, as you're turning there, I just want to say, we've had two people leave today going to the hospital. And so we, we need to be in prayer for Ted Smith. Those of you that don't know, Ted's had a heart attack within this past year and just felt a little off, so he's gone to the hospital. And Don is also taking Janice Walker to the hospital. So we're going we're gonna to take a brief moment. We're going to pause. We're going to pray for them. Heavenly Father, Lord, we lift up these needs before you. And God, you are the great physician. And Lord, we go to you trusting that God, you have them taken care of. They are in the palm of your hand. And Lord, that God, you, you'll just bring a physical touch to their bodies. Lord, there will be peace and not calamity on them. And that God, you will, uh, you will make them sure and steadfast in you. I thank you, God. Lord, be with them now in Jesus' name. Amen. But going back to our series, you know, we've, we've discussed like the past four weeks in a row that Jesus had a crowd that followed him. And we know that this crowd, as more and more are starting to follow Jesus, it's starting to create a little bit of an uproar that the Jewish leaders are wondering, what are we going to do with this guy and all these people that are following him? And as we've been studying the words of Jesus, we, we see that he has been frustrated by the crowd's response and what their expectation of his, is of him, and they have been seeking him for the miracle and not seeking him for Jesus, fully God, fully man. To them, Jesus, he was, he was confusing when he talked, and the words that he said, it didn't make sense. And they're like, just, just give us the miracle. We're here to see the miracle. But his words, as confusing as they are, they did captivate people. In the days where crowds flocked around Christ, he didn't necessarily make them believers per se, but I, I would equate it to the same thing as in modern times as we see the uprising of the megachurch, especially here in the United States, where thousands congregate into these megachurches, but we know that doesn't make every one of them a believer, right? So, I want to state this as the overall theme of this message. Being a part of the crowd is not good enough. Being a part of the crowd isn't good enough. Because we'll see that crowds, they can be swayed so easily because of how someone might interpret a situation. In uh, 2012, the church, the Open Bible Church in Waterloo, the region had come in and they had dismissed the pastor. And as they laid out the reasons for why they dismissed him, I mean, it, it, it made sense. It had to be done. But this pastor, as you can imagine, as any pastor might have a following after 14 years, they start, the, the, the church itself, I should say, starts being divided over the reason he was fired versus why he says he was fired. And so next thing you know, there are people politicking within the church. And by the time I come in August of 2012, half the church is gone. Right? And it was all based off their interpretation of the situation. And I'll be honest, you know, at that time, the, the region came in pretty swiftly. 
and they moved quickly. And then the pastor also played the victim. And so what happened was people just started to align which side they were going to be on. And it became a situation that it's us versus them. Now I can tell you just to be a part of the crowd is dangerous because what you see is we tend to go with the part of the crowd that we most align in principle with or align in friendships with. And for us following the crowd, there's comfort in it. You don't have to make decisions for yourself. The path is often mapped out for you and it requires little effort if you're going to be a part of the crowd. I remember my first move trip in 2016. Here I am going halfway across the world to do a missions project. And I'm wondering how all this is going to work. And I've I've been receiving material from the director. And he's explaining how things are going to go down. And then we all get to the airport in the U.S. that we all fly out of together. And I'm seeing that all I had to do was follow this mass of people Going to the gate, I didn't have to worry about what gate it was we were going to. I didn't have to worry about what time it was flying out. I just followed them. And then we get there, and I follow them through immigration. And we all get on the bus together. And then the hotel is already done for us, and, and we're getting fed regularly. And I, all I have to do is just walk, follow the guys in front of me, and I'm good. And I loved it because it was so easy. But I am telling you, as easy as it is and as welcoming as it is to follow the crowd, it becomes dangerous because the crowd may determine what you believe. So I want to read about Jesus' struggles with the crowd in John chapter 7. If you would look at verse 38 and then we're going to skip on to verse 40 through 49. John 7, 38 says, Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the Scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. On to verse 40. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Everyone say divided. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked? Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for your word. And Lord, as we we expound upon this today, And Lord, there's some depth here. I pray that we examine ourselves and and our behaviors, God, against what you teach. And God, I pray that you'll speak to us today that, Lord, if, if there's changes that need to occur in our life, we will be challenged to change. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You know, when I open up the Word of God, when I read it, what I see is I need to discover the truth for myself. It's not good enough to just adhere to what someone else says and I say, okay, that sounds good with me. Let's just go with that. But no, I read the Bible and it begs me to discover the truth for myself that it becomes a part of who I am. And I know that most of you in your life, your walk with God, many of you have come to know him because of what you've witnessed he can do. The crowds were following Jesus because they had witnessed him do great things. And they're like, we want to see more. We want to see more of that. But as we have instructed through the past few weeks of this series, the more time will distance us from the miracle, we risk two things. One, that we might forget or question the validity of the original miracle as distance has occurred from that. Or two, we require another miracle because of new problems. Right? So Jesus is, he's moving on from the miracle and now he's teaching them that they need to discover who he really is and that is the essence of what the crowd is struggling with. They're dealing with trouble in interpreting what he is saying, clinging to their understanding of the Old Testament God and law. And so to them, what Jesus is saying is it's either a great contradiction or it's blasphemous because of what he is claiming and the authority in which he speaks. But think about it this way. The works that Jesus had done and these amazing miracles did affirm the authenticity of who he is and affirm the crowd to what he was saying because people had never seen miracles like this before. This is why, church, that you and I today, as we gather here in church, we stand on the authority of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that God is still living and active and reveals to each and every one of us that we serve an all-powerful God. Amen? And it affirms to also the truth in His Word. And you and I, cannot neglect such a great power. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. When we allow ourselves to be used by God, it reveals God to the world. So you and I choosing to say, I acknowledge that God is a powerful, active, living God who can work in my life, that allows you to be used and then go out into the world with some boldness so that others may know Him too. But to get to that point, you have to have witnessed what God can do. For example, in this church, we have seen God perform a great work in many people's lives. One of the most recent significant works we've seen God do is in Ethan's life. 
And we know that as, 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 we, as we gathered around, as we prayed together as a church, as that family prayed together and stood on the truth of God's word, that in that whole process, we're called to a deeper faith. Amen? And here's the thing. We have some in this room who have been through that before and could instruct in standing firm and not wavering. And there were others that went through that for the first time. But we all came out of that experience seeing what God can do. And what that does is it deepens our faith and then equips us for the next time. Right? It equips us for the next time. So hopefully you can see that God can use you to impact other people. But in order to do that, you need to be teachable. You need to be willing to put into practice what you've learned and go and teach others. And you and I, we can't settle for just a temporary fix to our lives because when Jesus referred to himself as the great physician, and I know we prayed for a couple miracles this morning because God can do it, amen? God can do it. He has the ability. But we need to also understand that when he is referred to as the great physician, it's not just in the physical sense, but it's in the spiritual sense. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Listen to this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus' words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. So the freedom that Christ brings to our spiritual lives by placing our faith in Him cannot be measured against a temporary healing. Don't you agree? That temporary healing is great, but guess what? Your body, you're still going to grow old. You're still going to find other things that need prayed for, amen? But if God can release us spiritually, that changes us for eternity. Because we are open to the things that God can do. Because of that spiritual change, it should be required of us. Once we realize there is a God who sent his son to set us free, it is required of us that we become like him. And that's difficult when you're following the crowd. That's difficult. When the crowd is your aim. And so if you want to get to that point where you're becoming more and more like him, you need to study Jesus at his word. There is evidence the crowd, they didn't seek to understand what he was saying, but they wanted to see the miracles. And eventually that is all they wanted and Jesus determined there was no more miracles that would work that could benefit the crowd. And I've got evidence of that here. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 16 verse 4. Jesus says, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. 
the sign of the prophet Jonah, Jesus was saying, is the only miracle I have left to perform, which is my death and resurrection. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be dead for three days, and then I'm going to rise again. So when Jesus goes on with this crowd to say bold statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it begs us to take him at his word and seek understanding because we've already been affirmed that he is the son of God through what he can do. Okay? I know I'm going a little deep today, but I'm trying to bring you into understanding of why we need to become more like him. So I believe that if we truly understand that God sent his son for us and that he died for us and that through him there is everlasting life. And when Jesus calls us to change, we need to exact change in our lives. The question of the day today was, do you have a New Year's resolution? And if you're like me, you get to the point where if you've done New Year's resolutions in the past, you're like, man, I don't need a New Year's resolution. I just need a resolution. And I, I, just, I, just, I just need to change. And so maybe you're like me. You're not looking for a specific day like January 1st to start making those changes, but you just naturally want to change. You, you, you want to be different. But we are supposed to change. The church has done too much of this. Come as you are. You're cool. You're cool. You're cool. Let's just, let's just live together. Let's just do life together. And you can stay the same and I can stay the same. And church, I am telling you, that is not what my God instructs. When Jesus says things like, pick up your cross and follow me daily, he is saying that that ultimate representation of suffering, I am asking you to also take on. Are you hearing me, church? That is the ultimate key for us in following the crowd because the majority of the crowd isn't going to be able to follow Jesus in word and deed. They're not going to be able to do it. Listen to Matthew 7, 13 through 14. It says, you can, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. You must work for your own understanding. And as you do, you will benefit by others around you who are seeking to understand just like you. Because you could sit here today and say, Pastor, hold on a second. Isn't this a crowd? Is this a crowd? Listen, together, we are the body of Christ. But I challenge you to know God on a deep, personal, intimate level that doesn't involve the crowd. As you do this, you're going to be a benefit and a contributor to the body of Christ. And then you're going to find that as you grow in this faith, there are going to be more and more people that oppose you than that are for you. 
And so that's where I want to go next is we need to be prepared for those that are against Christ. God is very clear in His Word that, that Christ brings division to the world. This passage in John 7 is significant because it is the first time that we see the crowd is actually divided over what Jesus is saying. It's not just the Jewish leaders anymore. The crowd is divided. In fact, in one version it says they were split. And they were split because Jesus challenged their worldview and their understanding. That's what they were split over. Their reaction is the same reason people are split still on Jesus today. I want to read for you Luke chapter 12, verse 49 through 53 as we're building this case. It says, I've come to set the world on fire and I wish it were already burning. Listen, these are the words of Jesus. I'm going to say it again. I have come to set the world on fire and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. And mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And I want to be clear on what Jesus is saying. Because some of you could interpret this and say, how can we serve a God that wants to bring division? Division is not Christ's goal. Bringing the truth is. But reaction to that truth reveals our heart. So maybe your faith in Christ has already turned people against you. Maybe, maybe you needed to remove some, some sin in your life and so you had to, had to uh, lose some friendships. Or maybe because family and friends have turned against you because of your faith, maybe it conflicts in their lack of knowledge or understanding or a desire to change. And our natural desires and emotions long to a hope that we are going to win everyone for Christ. But think about it in this context. If the Savior of the world can't sway everyone that encountered Him, what makes you think you're going to do better? We cannot pick and choose who and how someone is going to receive Christ. Just like Jesus, we can only present the truth and reveal the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. So let's talk about what brings division in the world. The first one is He reveals sin. He reveals sin in our lives. You know, I don't like being told that my personal behaviors and choices can lead to my own destruction. But, but that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God reveals that. And it also tells us that we have to change or repent. People don't like that either. And then number two, when we're told that Jesus and Him alone determines our eternal outcome. In our own pride and selfishness, 
and the deceit that Satan brings, it causes people to lack an acceptance of the divinity of Christ. They want to believe that, that there's going to be by other, some other source or by God's grace being so sufficient. You don't need to believe in Jesus is what they're going to think or what they've said. And the reality is that what Jesus teaches and what God affirms in other writers of the New Testament is that we must believe in Jesus Christ if we want to be in eternity with him one day. We needed that sacrifice. We need that repentance. We need that blood to cover our our sins. Amen? The other part of this issue of division is not just how we're divided against the world, but do you know Satan is trying to divide us all the time? He is trying to bring division amongst his believers all the time. Because as Jesus challenges people's world perspective, Satan is working to hinder the efforts of the church. Romans 15, 5 and 6. It says, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord. Jesus Christ. The way that you and I connect with one another is because of Jesus Christ. So where Satan comes along and he brings division is through other means that don't involve Jesus. If we have gathered here because we are choosing to believe in Jesus Christ, Satan has to find other things that will split us apart. You know, most churches, and I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about the church as a whole, like the church in the United States or the church here in Des Moines, Iowa. I'm talking about individual churches. Division is rarely centered over doctrinal differences. Now, there are times it is. There are times where churches do divide over doctrinal differences, but it's because people are injecting a worldly view into a biblical practice. Okay? And you and I, we cannot let a cultural worldview shape how we interpret Scripture. Are you guys hearing me? That's significant. That's significant. I'm going to say that again. We can't let a cultural worldview shape how we interpret Scripture. Culture should be developed based off of what Scripture tells us. I've seen many churches divided over personal preference infighting over things that don't matter. In those cases, it was because the focus was taking, taken off of Jesus and put onto something else. It was taken off of what really mattered and put onto something else. And that's where the division occurs. But when you and I, when we collectively believe in Jesus, if we keep our focus there, he brings unity. He brings unity to us. And don't you know, Satan is always making an effort to, de to deceive and come against us as believers. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. It says, stay alert. 
Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Satan brought division into the Garden of Eden. Satan tried to bring division between Job and God. Satan tried to even bring division between Jesus and God. Now that Satan has been defeated through Jesus' death and resurrection, he wants your fate to be the same as his. He loves to divide the church because it limits our effectiveness. And he wants to limit your effectiveness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he'll do, one of the primary ways he does this, is to take your attention off of Jesus and put it on something else. You and I, as individuals, if we all came into this church as individuals, we can't unify that way. We have to come here as believers of Jesus Christ. That's what unifies the body of believers. And then together, you and I, we need to stand resolute in the things that keep us together and not let go of the things that help us sustain our faith. So the last thing that I want to talk about today is how to remain firm in our faith. First off, it's a constant pursuit. It's a constant pursuit after Him. Discovering your life in Christ is not determined by what the crowd is doing. And if you're doing what the crowd is doing, you're going to left, be left feeling empty. You're going to be left feeling unsure. And trust me, each and every one of us, we follow something. I guarantee the greatest men and women on this earth, they had a mentor. They had someone they looked to. They had someone that they tried to ascribe to. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the rewards in prayer. And he informs us that the rewards for a thriving prayer life come in a private room, not out in public. And you and I, we can grow in knowledge through this community of believers, but the evidence of a deep-rooted faith is by how you spend your time with God privately. And I, I know that it is easy to follow the lead of someone else. But ultimately, what we're getting at here is you need to be following the lead of Jesus Christ. Not a person. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was from the Jewish leaders... His response was, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. To love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind can't be developed by being a part of the crowd. It's something that settles in because of your personal, intimate time with Him. You and I, we can sit in church, we can seek to grow and learn, and we can live vicariously through things that other people in the church are going through, right? 
But if you are not actively pursuing God on your own, it's all going to be surface level identity stuff. It's going to be, I identify with that God because I can see what they do in that person. Well, that's okay until you go through something. And then it's going to show where your heart truly lies. And I am telling you that the time is now for us to discover exactly who God is in our individual lives. Surrendering over your personal time to Him. Seeking Him on your own according reveals your heart. And so if you and I, if we go here and we, we, we take our Bible, we go home and we put it where it always sits, And then next Sunday or next Wednesday, we say, oh, time to grab that Bible again. Time to take it to church. Time to open it up. Time to understand. Time to learn by what the pastor is teaching. And you guys know that I teach the Word of God, so I'm I'm, I'm always going to do you right there. But I am telling you, you must also take this Word with what I am preaching and what I am teaching and allow God to reveal it to your heart individually. It has to be done that way. That's when the pursuit of him really starts. And you'll find that God has been pursuing you ever since you were born. He's been after you ever since you were born. I can tell you the first time that I noticed Wendy. My dad and I, it was my freshman year of Bible college, 1998. We had traveled 1,800 miles from Des Moines to Eugene, Oregon. And it, we're, it's the first day. We, I, I mean, we, we've just drove, what, 14 hours? And we, we drove from Evanston, Wyoming to Eugene in, in one day. And as we pull up the hill, there's this girl walking up the hill. And I don't know if my dad saw me do one of these, but I did. And from that moment on, she became my aim. Sorry. (laughs) I found out what her likes were. I found out what her dislikes were. I did my best comedy routines. (laughs) Everything that I, I, it was, it was pull out, I mean, full stop, like, I would go as far as I could to impress her. Josh, it somehow worked. (laughs) But make being Christ your aim. If you're going to aim for something lesser, you might make that mark. But I'm telling you, that doesn't honor God. That doesn't honor God. See, If you were to chart out your personality traits, your quirks, maybe you were comparing yourself to a mentor or or someone you admire and, and you say, I believe with hard work, with discipline and some change, I can be their equal or I can achieve better than they did. You know what? You might be able to do that. But I can promise you that if you make Jesus Christ your aim, you're never gonna get there. And that's a good thing. 
Instead, we make Christ our aim, and it begs us to change with each and every step of our lives that one day I am going to be very old. I'm already old, guys. I know that. I'm going to be very old, and I'm going to say, I'm not there yet. I'm not like him yet. But if I change my heart, if I change my attitude, if I repent of these things, I'll be one step closer. Jesus says that you can recognize believers by the fruit in their lives. And if you and I are spending time privately and growing in the Lord, there is going to be evidence in your life and, and how you behave and how you live out that life. It will point to who Jesus is and he'll be recognized through your life. Paul tells us, he says, be imitators of Christ because that's the goal. And you and I, we need to be prepared to be the last one standing. That's what Paul teaches. I was walking through a mall once when those were a thing. I was walking through a mall once, and there was a car in the middle of the mall. And there was about 25 people that all had their hand on that car. And I had to see what's going on. And you, some of you guys know the rules of this game. The last person that still has their hand on the car wins the car, right? Well, it turns out, I found out, that it came down to these two people who were there like an extra four hours beyond even the, the third person that dropped out. And the one left because they had to go to the bathroom so bad they couldn't stand it any longer. And they interviewed the winner. And they said, how were you able to achieve what that person wasn't? You know what he said? I wore a diaper. <laughs> now, whether or not a car is worth going through all that, clearly, he was prepared to be the last one there, right? The feat in and of itself could not be accomplished if every one of those people that put their hand on their car could do it. There'd be a stalemate. There wouldn't be a point to even have that competition. So just like us, riding on the back of any crowd or just naturally trying to go to any path everyone else is going, eternity is not going to be available for you. You have to be able to achieve and do these things on your own. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that we need to work hard for our salvation with deep reverence and fear to God. Lastly, Paul teaches us a couple great lessons in walking through life with the goal of eternity in mind. One of my favorite passages, passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Paul, what he does is he correlates this faith journey to running a race to obtain a prize. And he says that he needs to discipline himself in training like one that would race to win a marathon. 
A few years back, I researched Michael Phelps. Don't know if you've ever studied him. Michael Phelps, when he would practice, he would swim 80,000 meters a week for training. 80,000 meters. He also worked out twice a day, exercising for five to six hours outside of the pool. Because of all the calories burned, the rumor is he ate somewhere around 12,000 calories a day. Guys, I guarantee you didn't even eat that yesterday on Christmas Day. Love him or hate him, these disciplines helped him win 23 gold medals, including 13 individual medals. Paul isn't telling you to run the race so that we can finish with others. He is telling us his life has to measure up to the words that he is preaching. And you and I, our lives, we are held against that higher standard that is God, right? And that's what I'm trying to achieve, is following that standard. Not the standards according to the world, not the standards according to what your friends at church do. What God speaks specifically to you in Scripture. Paul also says in Philippians 2, 12 through 14, he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I gotta tell you, church, I've measured so much of my life by what everyone else is doing. And frankly, I'm gonna tell you what it's created in me laziness and complacency. Jesus Christ wants all of you, He wants all of you, not just what you have available to give, He wants all. He gave Himself as a ransom for you. And so for you to just maintain or follow the crowd, it's not good enough. Church, we have to do better. We have to do better. And so for me, I choose discipline. I choose to dedicate myself in prayer. I choose to dedicate myself to reading the Word of God. I choose to remove sin from my life and to aim to be more like Him. It's time to show Satan who is really leading your life. It's time you to ask yourself, what am I willing to lay down? Because I am not. I am not where Christ is. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You and I have a choice to make. As we're approaching this new year, not to say January 1st is your date, but each and every one of you 
has brought something into your life that has made your life easier, more comfortable, part of the crowd. I don't know about you, but I have conviction about these things, and I know it needs to change. Today, as I was studying in my office, every, every week at 9.30 on Sundays, I get a screen time notification from my phone. Anyone else do that? And I'm like, okay, where am I at? And I looked at just today, and it said, you have been on your phone for 16 minutes today. I'm like, 16 minutes, that's, that's not too bad. And you have activated your phone, or your phone has responded to me opening it up 26 times. And I said, What? What? And I remember crying out to the Lord. I'm like, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. I was happy about the 16-minute thing, briefly. But then I thought, where am I going to be sitting at the end of the day? This is not godly. In church... The crowd, the crowd is doing it. The crowd is hooked. And I don't know what it is for you, but I'm telling you that God wants to have an authentic, real relationship with you. And what are you going to do to make that happen? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want us to be open to the Holy Spirit right now. God, may you speak to us today. God, reveal what we ought to be doing to change, to become more like your son. There is not a single human that has ever walked the face of this earth that has been perfect like your son was perfect. But God, we learn in your word that we are to aim to be like Him. We are to be imitators of Christ. So Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit right now reveal in each and every one of us one thing, one thing that is going to make a big difference in our lives and our relationship with You. And God, I pray that when we give that one thing over to you, we will see the growth. God, we will understand how you work in our lives, and we will see the need to give these worldly ideals up in order to pursue you. So God, reveal in us What can draw us unto you more? What we need to repent of, Father. And Lord, may we stand firm against that thing and the temptation that it brings in our lives. And God, may we pursue you with all that we have. Right now, if you're challenged to give something up, 
I ask that you stand with me. If you're challenged to give something up for the Lord, would you stand? God, you see those that are standing. And God, we're challenged by your truth and what it reveals in our lives. And God, I ask that, Lord, whatever it is that causes these to stand here today, that, Lord, you will, by your strength, by your power, by your love, God, help them see the, the freedom that it brings, Lord, when we surrender it over to you in Jesus' name. God, come in, take control. And Lord, may our lives not be dictated by that anymore. Lord, we're committed to your work. And God, we believe that through us, you have called us to be your ambassadors. And through us, the world will come to know who your son is. I praise you and thank you. And Lord, I cry out with all these that God, you are going to do an amazing work in us this next year. I praise you and I thank you in Jesus.